Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. So you had mentioned that on uh, Twitter the bias thing, um, mm-hmm. the, the story behind the story. The floor is yours. I mean, it's, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think with that, I totally understand when people look back. So the trade was about Javi Baez. We acquired um, Trevor Williams, and they also sent us cash, which was important at the time to keep us under the luxury tax, which was a mandate. Um, and we gave up Pete Crow Armstrong, um, who at the time, so if you look at it at the time, he was, I want to say, publicly ranked as probably our fifth best prospect but the publications that do that i'd say that was pretty consistent with how we viewed him internally we liked the player we loved the person the work ethic we loved the defense i think there were we had questions about how the the bat was going to evolve um and you know we had a farm system that was pretty top heavy didn't have a lot of interest in kind of the middle tier which is usually where you want to trade from to make deals so you know we couldn't really get any traction there and we had a four game lead on the division at that point which is hard hard to remember because things kind of fell apart fairly quickly for the team uh the last couple months but yeah we still had a four game lead in the division it was a pretty mediocre division at the time which is also hard to remember because the braves have been so good since then then and they ended up playing really well uh down the stretch but i felt like a four game lead we should we have to be buyers um and so I was having a lot of conversations about different players, uh, and especially with the Cubs, having a lot of dialogue about because they were selling a lot of players. So we talked a lot. Um, and one point there was like this probably was like a seven player deal we were talking about that would have filled several needs of the team. One interesting dynamic that happened on deadline day was I got a bad report on the health of Jake DeGrom. Um so that didn't stop us. That wasn't, I didn't look at it as well. We got to give up on the season. And as you saw, you know, the Rangers lost Jake to Grom and ended up winning a world series. So you, you don't give up on the season when something like that happens, you still have a four game lead. It wasn't clear that he was going to miss the rest of the season, but I knew there was some chance of that. Um, so it wasn't great. So I kind of pivoted a little bit 
from away from the kind of more of the all-in type deals and thought this is a player that fits us really well and Doran had some health stuff we'd had some um, challenges on the infield this he could play anywhere um you know the makeup was positive especially if he's in a place where you're trying to compete that people thought he'd thrive in the spotlight of New York um which he, he ended up doing so we did the deal knowing you know anytime you're doing a rental deal you kind of know it's a negative long term right like you're giving up a prospect even if at the time Peter Armstrong wasn't he wasn't a top 100 prospect he was a good prospect and we liked him but you know at the time it was like I think some publications viewed it as fair um given that what we were getting in return as fair as it can be I would have viewed it as slightly negative long term mm-hmm. um to Peter Armstrong's credit and to the you know somewhat to the Cubs player development credit he has, I would estimate, tripled his value since then and is now in some places listed as the 12th best prospect in baseball. That's prospect value. There's two different things, right? Like you've got to, what you contribute at the big league level and then what your kind of prospect value is, which all prospect value helps with until it's realized value is trade value. Um, so if you look back at that trade in hindsight, yeah, it was a bad value trade. But if you look at it as, you know, how did it affect the major league teams with both clubs? Well, that story hasn't been told yet for the Cubs. He still has to go and perform and he will get an opportunity because he's earned that. On the Mets side, you know, Baez performed every bit as well as we could have ever hoped offensively, defensively, base running. He brings so much to the table. He was outstanding, performed, I think, very similarly to Cespedes did in their run to the World Series in 2015. Uh, Williams was really good for us. He was especially good for the Mets when I wasn't there the next year, which he had a year of control. And uh, he's put up, he put up, you know, for two years, a three-something ERA uh, was really a, a key part of their depth situation there. So they got a lot out of those players that were there. And the story has yet to be told about what Pete's going to bring to the big league level. But yeah, when you look at it purely as a value, I know it looks like a really big negative trade. Um, I don't run away from that. Um, but I also, you know, I've had people tell me what veteran executives say, you know, you need to focus on what you're getting more than what you're giving. I don't quite believe that. I'm not all in on that. I think you need to think about both. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to look. The Mets pivoted this year. They traded for a couple outfielders. One of them is a center fielder. So to my point earlier about you still add young talent down the road, you know, maybe Gilbert is, ends up being a better big leaguer. That You know, these things, or Acuna, who we traded with Texas, may move to the outfield. I don't know what they end up having doing with these players, but they acquired some really good prospects. And they both have prospect value if they want to make trades. And they may also be key parts of their next, uh, you know, great team. I think it's a great, you know, and I heard, I've heard that too before. Focus on, you know, what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, we had a guy, a friend of mine, JP Ricciardi, you know, he said that's what he would tell Billy Bean. He's like, focus on what you're getting. And um, and I think to your point, if, as everything in baseball, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle when it comes right, to yeah. those sort of sayings. Um, you also said you you also a big propo- or uh, advocate proponent um, supporter David Stearns and, and his hiring. Just in in a nutshell, like what what do you like about? Him? So I didn't know David until recently. 
Um, you know, I said hello to him at industry meetings, but never had a real opportunity. Always heard great things about him as a leader, as someone to work for, uh, you know, the culture he creates. Obviously, he's a very intelligent guy. I've known that about him since going back to his um, commissioner's office days. Um, but I didn't really know him. We did talk before he ended up with the Mets. He's doing his due diligence. He's making, I'm sure he made a lot of calls and talked to a lot of people, but he did reach out to me, got, you know, to, to kind of learn about my perspective on my experience there. Um, and so we talked for quite a while. Uh, I got to know him better. Uh, it was, I really enjoyed the conversation. He, he's just, there's just a lot of things. Like, again, as I mentioned with CY, like, I have a lot of alignment with him, with David as well, in terms of the kind of organization he wants to build, the kind of culture he wants to have, um, how he wants people to work, those types of things. Um, so, you know, I agree with that approach that he wants to take. So therefore I think he's really good because <laughs> obviously I believe in that for a reason. So, and I like the person, uh, the things that he talked about that are important to him as a leader, as a boss, um, are, are kind of shared values as well. So, you know, there's no doubt he's a smart guy. Um, so obviously the knowledge is important. You know, at that level, these guys all have knowledge, right? It's just kind of how do they actually execute? Um, and I think, you know, the challenge for any time you go from a smaller market to a big market, the challenge is going to be, you know, how do you adapt to that? I remember hearing Andrew Friedman on podcast say that he thinks it's much harder to go from small to big than big to small. And I think that makes sense. I mean, I've, my only small market experience has been consulting with the pirates. Um, and so I got to some insight on, on, on that, but I think it makes sense because when you go to a big market, you're not narrowing your focus, right? When you go, I remember when Jed Hoyer went to the Padres from the Red Sox and he said, in some ways it's easier because I can eliminate a whole pool of players that we cannot, you know, this is back when the Padres didn't spend like they spend now. Um, we can eliminate a whole group of players because we can't afford them so we can really drill down and narrow our focus not have to have as many balls up in the air as much uncertainty as, as a big market team may have and that was kind of what andrew said too it's like i now i'm in on every market i, I have to be on we're the dodgers that we can do it so we have to do it and so it's just widens your scope and so i think you know that's going to be the challenge for anyone and it's david's case going from milwaukee to new york and obviously with the resources that they have with the Mets, um, yeah, there's there's no one that you can't acquire. Uh, it doesn't mean there's no limits, but you need to make it. I think it just makes a lot more, there's a lot more decisions that are on your plate. And, you know, I'm confident that that's not going to be a, a difficult transition for him. Now you got me fired up. I love it. <laughs> I you do. do. It's like, this, <laughs> this is great. It's good stuff. I really appreciate it, man. I really appreciate it. It's it's uh it's it's great to see you. It's great to see, you know, the stuff that you're doing at Four Ring Sports Solutions and and um and it's just good to talk about this stuff because I think that you offered insight, which I think is so unique and 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 not only unique because of where you are now and where you've been, but to something you said early on, which is all these different people that you've talked to and dealt with and even when you were with the red sox i mean we we know that there was different iterations of right. uh, and then and and then you know the mets and then you know four rings and in the organizations you're dealing with now even outside baseball again like this is if it baffles me how other media entities 
let's just say, <laughs> doesn't li- don't listen to the the things that they cover. Like when you're talking, I'm thinking, oh man, like well, all this stuff is good stuff. It's stuff that should be our guide. So I don't right. know, you know. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, as you can tell, I'm passionate about talking about stuff. It's fun. It's interesting. I actually went through recently and counted how many former or current general managers or number ones, they're either presidents, CBOs, general managers, whatever the title is, but the number ones of a that were at one point of a baseball operation. I worked with 16 of them. And that's pretty amazing. And I think, you know, going all the way back to Bill LaJoy, who was the GM of the Tigers in the 80s. Um, and I've learned something from all of them. And so, you know, what's great about this opportunity now is I get to expand that into other sports and have really interesting, fun conversations with people that have had similar experiences and we have some shared we we kind of all know the life of working in sports operations it's the same in every sport um you know that the calendar is just different timing different details but it's the grind of it all and it's been good to have more balance in my life to kind of get out of the day-to-day grind but i also enjoy helping people kind of navigate through that but you know what it all comes back to billy joy because every time (laughs) billy joy's name is brought up i remember theo um in the uh the cult classic book chasing steinbrenner saying when he's talking about hiring bill of joy and he said he has a strong desire to kick ass and i'm like <laughs> that is there's the common theme right yeah yeah and and that's i love bill of joy um he was great i learned so much from him because i knew nothing about scouting when i started and um not to say i'm an expert on scouting now but just the way he went about it. And then to see kind of in hindsight, like how right he was about a lot of things, even though, you know, just his experience, but he also adapted. I mean, this is a guy that was up there in years and we're, you know, asking scouts to do more with computers than they ever had in their jobs before. And he just adapted and, you know, kind of went with it and realized this is, you know, where the game's going, but he wanted to win and he was competitive. And I'm very grateful that I was around a lot of people that just, had that desire to, as you said, kick ass. And, um, you know, especially a lot of people from Boston being there when I first started and having, you know, that thing that was relatable to all Boston fans of like, we're ending this, we're winning this damn thing. And we're not going to rest until we, we do. And then even then we're not going to enjoy it. We're going to keep going and get to the next one. And, And that was just what was really fun about growing up, uh, in the Red Sox organization. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Really really good to see you, Zach. Yeah, it was good to see you, Rob. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.